0: Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Do you want to stand for the reading of God's word? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It should be on the screen, I think. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. You may be seated. Father, we come before you today. We come to sit under your word and to hear what you have to say to us more, what you've shown us. That you want us to be a people of justice A people of love that shows and shines to this world, that shines your glory, God. So that everyone might see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. So Lord, speak to us today. Let your spirit be present in this room, powerful in our hearts. God, open our hearts to hear what you have to say today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, church historians have been um, sounding the trumpet that we're officially entering a post-Christian society. So for the last 1,700 years, Western society has largely been unified under this umbrella of Judeo-Christian morals, values, and worldview, and really, for the first time in history, the West is entering a time that mirrors more than ever before in history, the time like the early church. Now, this is truly exciting. This is exciting, and it's, a, it's an exciting time to live, but it's also scary, right? Do we remember what happened to the early church under the... Roman rule. Because early Christians were seen as subversive to society, and they refused to worship the Roman imperial court, uh, cult, sorry, they were ostracized, they were persecuted, and they were made sport of in the sight of belligerent audiences. And today, Christianity is increasingly no longer seen as as a legitimate religious faith, but is actually hostile, even harmful, to the progress of society. It seems that every negative, political, social epidemic, even the pandemic, is being pinned on the backs of Christians. And to be sure, we are not scot-free. But more and more... Christians are being seen as seditious, subversive, even toxic to society due to our um, harmful, suppressive sexual ethic, our views on the sanctity of life and the like. So as we approach an epoch that most mirrors the time of the early church, the question we must ask is, how did they win over the Roman Empire. Historian Kyle Harper reminds us that in the Greco-Roman society where the early church took root, women were powerless and they were described as possessions in the legal language of the empire. Sex slavery or what we call sex trafficking was accepted as the norm in that time, and then the early church came along, and it was the first community in history to call that injustice by its name and to call that society into account. Harper says that you can actually trace the spread of the early Christian church by tracing the legal band of sex slavery throughout the Roman Empire. Did you hear that? In his estimation, he says the most reliable index for the early church's spread is the legal overturning of sexual violence against victimized women. Wow, that's amazing. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like justice. And I submit to you today that as we enter this new era, we must go back to our roots as a people of justice. This is how we're going to win over the Society for Jesus Christ. So we're, com- we're continuing in our series called Early Church. Um, sorry, Early Church. We're continuing in our series called Future Church, actually. I'm like early future work we're, we're looking back to go future actually we're so we're continuing in our series called Future Church today where we're joining with a network of churches to with a unified voice address the challenges of our culture and and come up with a concrete practice and response as the church. Now, some of this material is copied straight out of this conglomeration of churches. Um, So if this message resonates with you today, you can thank the network that we're part of. And if it doesn't, you can thank Dan for letting me screw this one up. But um, where we're heading today is we are a community of justice in a culture of consumerism. Our first point today is that we cannot separate personal righteousness and public justice. Personal righteousness and public justice. We cannot separate those. So, God speaking back in Micah to, through his prophet to the southern kingdom, 700 BC, says, He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires to act justly, or as some translations put it, to do justice, do mishpat, this immensely important biblical word. And it's often coupled with another immensely important word, tzedakah, righteousness. To do justice and righteousness are at the heart of the biblical message for God's people. These words, now they have a lot of overlap. Sometimes they're almost used synonymously. But if we're to see their general differences, um, justice is just the outworking of personal righteousness. So justice is more outward and public and, and and righteousness is more my inner character that stems from my relationship with God but it should become immediately apparent, right, that you can't divorce the two, right? My, my, this relationship, this transformation that's taking place in my heart by the righteousness of Christ has to be worked out. It has to show, right? You can't, you can't divorce the two, and to separate them is why God so often rebuked the Israelites. So back in Micah's day, right before the passage that we read, the famous passage in verse eight, if you go back to verse six, You'll see, I think it will be on the screen, The people ask God, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calf, a year old? What, what can I worship God with? What can I offer God? What can I bring to worship you, Lord? And then the Annie is up here. Shall, um, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000s of rivers of oil? Um, and And then the most hyperbolically of all, should I offer my firstborn? Like what can I do to worship the Lord, to give and to sacrifice? And he says, he doesn't just want our worship to be private and personal, he wants it to be public. He has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires to do justice. See, the Israelites were oftentimes really good at their personal spiritual practices. Like they prayed, they meditated on scripture. Some of them had it memorized. They gave their tithes and offerings, their sacrifices. They, they religiously kept the Sabbath. Um, they even fasted, but over and over, God rebukes the people because their personal devotion didn't spill over into their relationships to other people. Specifically, their relationships to the less fortunate, the oppressed, the marginalized, the foreigner, and the poor. So again, we cannot separate personal righteousness and public justice. Now, there are two dangers we have to be careful of when we embark on a life of justice and righteousness. The first, and the one I would say the church has been a little bit prone to as of late, is to focus too much on our personal righteousness, our personal devotion to God, to the neglect of the social justice. Remember, when I talk about righteousness, I'm not talking about you know, being a, a religious rule follower, okay? I'm, I'm talking about this inner soul and character formation that is brought about by this intimate relationship with God. See, spiritual formation and soul care are in the air right now, and they are really, really welcomed. They're needed. But if our inward spiritual formation doesn't lead to outward kingdom mission, then it's it's hollow. Tyler Staten of Bridgetown, he's one of the churches we're um, really taking the lead from in this series, he reminds us, our spiritual formation must spill over the banks into others. When we devote ourselves to personal righteousness without equally devoting ourselves to outward mercy, It is not the way of Jesus we're practicing. It ends up being something more like spiritual wellness. Friends, we are susceptible to this. We're susceptible to making our Christianity simply about spiritual wellness, right? And this becomes something like um, Christian life enhancement. You know, our Christian self-help. What does spiritual wellness really look like? We can put some teeth into it. What does it look like for us today? Well, I would say all these really great things, taking care of our bodies by working out and maybe eating organic. I don't know, maybe you're going to go vegan up in here. Um, It could be uh, taking care of our mental health, so important seeing our counselors, uh, making sure our purchases are ecologically sustainable, but it can even be a lot more subtle than that. It can be our practice of silence, our practice of stillness, Sabbath, even scripture meditation. These are great things. We They're necessary things, right? But if these don't lead us to extend justice, To the poor, the needy, neighbors right around us, they are not the way of Jesus. Our personal piety must fuel public justice or it counts for nothing. Now the second danger is to focus more on the social aspect of justice over the personal right social justice is a buzz right now and rightfully so right there's a lot of inequalities there's a lot of injustice there's a lot of social problems taking place right now and the rise and concern for social justice is is to be admired i'm so thankful that a lot of faces in this room of the younger generation sense that heartbeat in their heart i i love that i love that but justice right without personal righteousness that's like what That's a contradiction. That makes no sense. It has led first to this phenomenon that we've coined, virtue signaling. You've heard of virtue signaling? Virtue signaling is publicly voicing your uh, superior moral stance on an issue, usually in an angry and demeaning um, social media rant somewhere, which I absolutely know none of us have ever done in this room, right? We don't do that kind of stuff. But it's so prevalent. Honestly, corporations, corporate America is jumping on the board, jumping on the boat now with this. And they're getting involved in taking moral stances on issues that have nothing to do with their products. But this is why virtue signaling is hypocritical, because we all have areas in our lives with glaring shortcomings. And many of those companies have Very unethical practices in other areas of production, right? It's not wrong to call out injustice. We have to. But to claim how virtuous you are in a very demeaning way towards others is just not very virtuous. Secondly, getting focused too much on the social than the personal is we can get caught up in the systemic issues of injustice. We're so stuck there that we never actually do something practical about it today. Matthew 25. This will be on the board. Jesus gives his final teaching before he's arrested. I want this to sink into your hearts real quick. This is his final teaching before he's arrested. His last words. And guess what it's about? Doing justice. Doing justice to those around us. He says it's so important as we read this that our our fate, our eternal fate, can be determined by if we did justice to the poor and needy around us or not. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. We're gonna read this together. Just meditate on this. If you wanna just close your eyes, I mean, this is a heavy portion of scripture. I'm just gonna read this nice and clearly. Why don't you just, honestly, just close your eyes and listen. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, needing clothes and clothe you, when do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and we didn't help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. Wow, that's heavy, that's powerful. Pastor Dave Lomas of Reality San Francisco um, talking about this passage says, sometimes it's so often to get caught up in the systemic issues Of of things that we don't actually do anything practical about it. He says, right, we're we're, we're smart enough to know that there's systemic issues behind injustice. We're smart enough to know that there's systemic issues behind poverty and the poverty cycle. We're we're smart enough to know that there's systemic issues um, behind homelessness. We're smart enough to know that, but the way of Jesus doesn't excuse us from doing something about it today. He says, notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, I was sick and you healed me. He doesn't say, I was in prison and you liberated me. He doesn't say, I was a stranger and you bought me a house. He doesn't say that. It's actually more basic, right? I was hungry and and you, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a cup of water. I was a stranger and you, you welcomed me. I was in prison and you visited me. See, fighting against the systemic uh, issues of injustice are important, but we can't get so focused on the social aspects that we don't do any tangible thing about it today. Jesus does both. He does practical, tangible things every day, and he overturns the tables of the t- in the temple. Lastly, when justice has become social without first becoming inward and personal, it becomes oftentimes about a cause rather than the people. And we fall in love with the idea of justice rather than actually falling in love with the people who need it. So we can't separate personal righteousness and public justice. When we overemphasize our spiritual formation, it can become Christian life enhancement, self-help, and spiritual wellness. And when we got caught up in the social without the personal, the cause over the people, justice often ends in condemnation rather than compassion. That leads us to our next point. Justice is about compassion, not condemnation. Remember, he says he has told us what is good and what the Lord requires to do justice and to love mercy. What God wants from us is to do compassion, to have mercy. Now, when I think of justice, I don't know about you, but when I think of justice, it might be this Western judicial uh, system, but there's there's one person that's right, and they deserve compassion, right? And there's the other person that's wrong, and you deserve condemnation, you know? I'm sorry about that. I think I scared some people in this room. (laughs) That's what I think of. That's how my mind works, like, ah, condemnation, you know, you're wrong, but... When we think of biblical justice, when we look at biblical justice, the lines are not always that clear. There's a lot more complexity to the situation than we first thought. See, the reality is that we would all be condemned for certain moral failings. And we all unconsciously and oftentimes unintentionally are contributing to unjust systems that actually hurt people. Take, for example, the clothing we wear. Right, part of the reason I've I, been, if you shop at Ross or Marshall, I do. I'm cheap. I'm like, I'm gonna go there. Why? I can save twenty dollars on a shirt. Heck, um, but part of the reason, and, and I guess that's how you find out what the real price of it is, right? You know, it's like, why would I spend fifty when I can spend fifteen? It's like, um, the the reason these clothes are so cheap is because many companies employ women and children in foreign countries. And they worked them on the verge of slave wages, sometimes even forcibly. This is like crazy to think about. I, I, if you haven't heard about this, you can, you can look it up. But this is, this is crazy to think about. And I will, I will spare you the list of stores, markets, wholesale. Gr- I'll spare you that list. You can look that up yourself. But this is the nature of the broken world in which we live in. To be perfectly just in every arena of life is just just not not practical. None of us really are. So when we talk about this issue of social justice, it's much deeper than we first thought. And that's why we need compassion. And it is from this light that Jesus' words from the cross are even of greater impact. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. See, the heart of justice is is compassion. That's the heart of it, not condemnation. So let me give you one more example, okay? Take abortion. Heavy topic. We as believers we miss the mark if we simply denounce the evil that is taking place in in that industry. That's true, that must be called out and we should do something about it. But the question is, how's the heart in which we do that? Do we have compassion? Do we have compassion on, on the women in that situation? who sometimes often are fraught with fear and anxiety or shame or anger over what has happened. Moreover, compassion leads us to do something about it. Maybe compassion leads us to consider setting up mobile clinics where you can get an ultrasound and you can have resources and and help for other avenues. And if they decide to take those avenues, maybe compassion will lead us to adopt those children. The 670,000 that enter the foster system in this nation annually. Maybe that's what compassion does. Maybe it will lead us to foster that's social justice. That's justice, is it not? Being a solution, a compassionate solution. Shameless plug. That's why I love that we partnered with a Royal Family Kids Camp. And we gave foster kids a week of reprieve, laughter, and the love of Christ. Christ. Our very own Katie Randall headed that up for neighbors. And for an entire week, these kids were given the love and hope of Jesus. That is doing justice, social justice. I'm persuaded that, honestly, a lot of what goes under the banner of social justice today is just angry condemnation of the other side. I don't think that's the way of Jesus, though. Yes, injustice must be called out. But the heart of it, the heart of justice is compassion. The heart of justice is mercy, not judgment. As we come into our third point here, we going to start landing the plane shortly. So just hold on. To do justice, we will have to live humbly. We're going to have to live humbly if we're going to do justice. Now, this is the third rubric that Micah gives us. Remember, he says, he's told us what is good and what the Lord requires. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord your God. Now, I think this is in contrast to our often loud, lavish, and consumerist culture. We live in a culture where our good deeds are broadcasted over the airwaves for all to see and like. But Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. We also live in a lavish culture where, quite honestly, we have so much The needs of others don't really affect us or our pockets that much. But the needs of others must affect us. They must. Literally, personally, financially, they must affect us. When they don't, sometimes an unhealthy power dynamic is created between the haves and the have-nots, the haves who help those who are in need. When it doesn't affect us, sometimes justice can become patronizing. Or at best, it just doesn't bring the change we're really looking for, right? Unfortunately, we see this a lot with NGOs who go to underdeveloped countries. See, the factors of, of poverty and how to get out of poverty are complex. And, and sadly, what... Um, We often see that NGOs who want to help underdeveloped countries, they they struggle to bring about long-term healing and change, even though their impulse is, is justice and compassion. Now, in contrast to that, Jesus, Jesus gives us a clear rubric that that not only secures true and liberating justice, but transforms us. So I'm gonna give you a simple progression here. A progression to humble, powerful justice. Three simple things. Simplicity, generosity, and solidarity. First, simplicity. Now, simplicity is popular right now. It's in the air. We see this in the minimalist trend, which I love, or tiny house and all that kind of stuff. It's so cool. I love that kind of stuff. But maybe I'm just a skeptic. I'm I just, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that this isn't just an, another consumeristic, you know, fashion uh, uh, statement, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, a hashtag on our posts, you know, looking for likes. I'm, I, I'm skeptical of that kind of stuff, but in contrast to our uh, simplifying our wardrobe or our house furnishings, I wanna talk about simplifying our life, simplifying our schedule. See, I'll speak for myself, but a lot of times, I'm just too busy to care. I'm just too busy to care. We live in a fast-paced society, and it is unsustainable. Not only is it unsustainable, it's, it's harmful to my soul. The barrage of news and vibrations from our devices coupled with the busy life needed to keep up and maintain and keep our socioeconomic status squelches the command and the desire to do justice. But friends, if we're going to take justice seriously, we're going to have to make time for it. We're going to have to make time for it. We're going to have to make time in our schedule to stop by the side of the road. We're going to have to make time um, to go out to the the. The refugee community or the the shelter or the food pantry right in our neighborhood. We're going to have to make time for those things. We're going to need to just simplify our life so that we can be people who are free to do justice. Next, generosity. Generosity. We're going to have to give generously if we want to see justice happen. We are praying to be a church that is marked by radical generosity, and currently, we give 5% of every tithe to justice initiative. 5% of every tithe to justice initiatives and 5% to church planting. This is not like the goal end for us, just to let you know, this isn't like the goal end for us. This is just where we're at in the family budget, right? We all have family budgets, we all have an overhead, we all have expenses, like we all have stuff. But we are praying to be a people who are radically generous. Currently, we're praying about partnering with a ministry to help homeless single mothers. We're also praying about partnering with this school to, bring, to have things like Christmas drives and, and to bless families and to show the love of Christ. But our prayer is that all of our family budgets as individuals and as a church is marked by radical generosity. Two weeks ago, you, in concert with Park Hill, raised $15,000 to build wells for African families. That is awesome. Yeah, you can not clap for that. That was actually a joke, but you didn't have to. Um, see, the average African has to walk four miles just to get water, and in one weekend, we were able to build two wells. That is life-changing generosity. That's awesome. Not only so, many of you in this room gave generously with your time, because you helped. Go early. You organized and you set up the event. Now I usually think the walk for whatevers or the <laughs> run for this reason are, are kind of cheesy because I'm like, I what does that have to do with the cause? Like I don't I don't get the connection <laughs> sometimes, and I'm like, what are we doing? Um, but not so with this walk for water. They literally walk four miles on average to get water, and we walked four miles. And we even carried, like, these jugs of water, these heavy jugs of water. Not me, though. I mean, I, my baby's heavy enough, so I didn't carry no jugs of water. But we carried these jugs of water. And don't tell Evan. Oh, don't tell Evan at Park Hill, right? Because I saw him carrying this thing. These things are heavy. He started up here. And then I was watching him. It eventually went here. And then a little bit later, a little longer later, it was here. And then it was here. And then he was like, these things are heavy, four miles. We literally walk the same distance as they do to relate with them, to identify with them. And this leads to the final and climactic aspect of doing justice, solidarity, solidarity. See, the reality is that if we just give financially but their plight doesn't affect us, then we're not following the way of Jesus. See, the point of giving, right, is to literally lower our economic status so we can raise someone else's economic status, right? It's to close the gap of inequality. And that means it's going to cost us But we know that just giving money doesn't always fix the situation, right? But in Christ, we have the greatest example of life-changing liberation and justice the world has ever known. And it's called the incarnation. See, Jesus didn't just lower his economic status. He lowered himself. Jesus descended into the depths of our plight and utterly identified with us. He didn't just carry our sorrows. He didn't just carry our shame. He expressed the greatest act of solidarity the world has ever known when he humbled himself and became one of us. God became man to rescue us from our hopeless predicament. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, although Jesus was by very nature God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't count equality with God something to be clung to, something to be held on to. That's my prerogative because I'm God. He didn't do that. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant and being born in the likeness of humanity and being found in human form, he humbled himself. The Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that although he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. The Bible says that Jesus descended so low, he said the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. By all accounts, Jesus was homeless. He was a foreigner. He was rejected. He became imprisoned. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. (sighs) Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, whether in heaven or earth or under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, this is the paradigm of the Christian life. This is the paradigm of justice, the humility, and the subsequent exaltation. This is why the ministry of Mother Teresa was so effective. When she served the poor, she didn't just stay at arm's length. She took a vow of poverty and entered in their plight to express the transforming justice of solidarity. Jesus is the model for justice. And the cross is the only place on the planet you will find saving, liberating, transforming justice in the most humble act. Mercy and justice were held perfectly intact at the cross of Christ where God took on flesh to bear the judgment we deserve to give us the mercy we didn't. Justice, mercy, humility. He has shown us. He's shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord our God. Friends, let's be a community of justice. Let's be a community of justice. Let's return to our roots. Let's return to the way of Jesus. As we end here, Shua, if you want to come up, three simple takeaways, three simple practices. We want to get real concrete with this. Three simple practices to justice. First, Proximity. Proximity. Start with who's around you. It could be the homeless man on this, on your corner. Start with them. Just talk to them. Just say hi. Just give them the dignity of, the, of, of, a, of acknowledging a human being made in the image of God. It could be uh, giving your time to, you know, a shelter or a food pantry that's right on your street. Even our neighbors around us, just getting to know them. My neighbor this week, I walked outside and seen a grown man crying. <laughs> and I asked, what's wrong? He said, my, my dog died. He was hurt. His dog, 17 years. That's a long time. So I made him some dinner just to show the love of Jesus. Just start in your proximity. Start in our proximity. Second, generosity. I already went over this, but let's pray to be a people who are radically generous with our budget, and we might have to live a little more simply to do that. Lastly, solidarity. Let's love others to the extent that it affects us. Let's not stay at arm's length. Let's descend into their pain so that we can truly help them out. See, sometimes just throwing a rope doesn't work, right? Jesus didn't just throw a rope to us. He climbed in and he carried us out. If we're gonna be a people of justice, we're gonna get our hands dirty. We're going to get our feet wet. We're going to do more than just throw ropes. Proximity, generosity, solidarity. Let these be the practices for us as a community to be a people of justice.